Whether it's an alternate reality, distinct publishing line, or relaunch, The Man of Steel continues to be reconceived from his origin to his final fate. Over this four-part event, we will journey from the Dark Knight universe to Earth-1, from the New 52 continuity to the Elseworld of Red Sun, as we explore whether the core of the character endures. This is Superman Reimagined. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Superman Earth-1, the trilogy of original graphic novels written by J. Michael Straczynski, is the publisher of the real-life Daily Planet. Yes, you heard that right. The real-life Daily Planet, Zach Benz. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's uh, I never get used to that introduction. Um, I've been introduced like that on uh, Zach's uh, Always Hold On to Small Villain. I forget how the Daily Planet has kind of evolved since I started it on Twitter. So kind of... I really appreciate that. <laughs> we appreciate you bringing this into the world. So let's let's explain what the Daily Planet is because it's not it's not a Superman fan site. Nothing wrong with it if it were, but you've built this into a legitimate news organization. How did this get started? Um, yeah, so it actually started in 2014 on Twitter. I started the uh, Daily Planet DC, um, and I would do online editions, and it was actually meant to be a fan site, but um, more and more people were uh, wanted to contribute work that uh, was important to them. And so it uh, evolved into an actual news publication that is contributor based uh, with, uh, while recognizing our roots that it is inspired by the Daily Planet from Superman comics. Um, we report on basically everything that happens on the planet. And I tried not to, um, I try not to turn people away. Um, it, it's a site um, for the people, by the people, as my friend Brianna likes to say. Um, and I'm hoping to uh, turn it into an actual legitimate news publication. Yeah. That, that's terrific. And, you know, I've mentioned it on the show before, but it's great to have you here. And for anyone who hasn't checked out dailyplanetdc.com, please do follow along on social media. I know Twitter is probably where you're the most active, right? Yeah, I'm trying to uh, vamp up Instagram and Facebook, but um, there's a better audience and I, I think a stronger community for um, especially in the comic book community on Twitter. Um, this is true. I mean, I will say from my own experience as a Superman podcaster, I mean, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Instagram is solid, I, I will say, but I do get more engagement and more traction on Twitter. That's the sense that I've gotten. And yeah. Facebook, the Facebook page is very limited. Uh, I could go on a whole rant about Facebook and organic reach and paid ads and all that stuff. We, I do have the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group, which everyone is welcome to join. That's at least a, a better way to actually connect with people and, and get a response. But generally, Facebook leaves a bit to be desired, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to say Facebook is for family and Instagram is for um, sharing photos and then Twitter is for sharing your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I think that makes sense. So, I, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on for this episode is that the earth one graphic novels, they do spend a good amount of time at the daily planet with Perry and Lois and Jimmy and Clark. Mm -hmm. 
And the writer of these books, J. Michael Straczynski, also has a background as a journalist. So, so given Straczynski's background, what's covered in the books, and your own experience, uh, and mine as well as a journalism uh, major in, in undergrad, uh, you know, I thought that would that would lend itself well to to a discussion here. Yeah, I actually did not know you were a journalism major. That's that's some cool information. Well, at uh, at Fordham now they have an actual dedicated proper journalism major. When I did it, I was technically a communications and media studies major with a specialization mm. in journalism. Yeah. Uh, so whatever. Not that I'm sore about that. Nothing wrong with being a <laughs> communications major, but I, I would have preferred had it had it been journalism the way it is now. But I took all the journalism classes that I could, and I loved it. I loved it, and I think that's. That definitely helped pave the way for the the documentary and podcast work that that I've done now, and even the article that I wrote that I had the opportunity to write for uh, for Daily Planet DC. Yeah, it explains why that was such stellar work. Now, thanks. <laughs> I no, I appreciate that. I'll give a tip of the hat to I had a couple of professors uh, at Fordham in particular, like who really who really like took an interest, and I wrote about comics and the comic shop that I worked at in a lot of the pieces that I did, and it was to this day those were the classes. When I look at all of my schooling, including law school, especially law school, <laughs> those undergrad journalism classes were the ones that I enjoyed the most. So they'll always have a special yeah. place for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I actually, similarly, I went to UMD, University of Minnesota Duluth, and worked at a comic book shop while I majored in journalism also. And I wrote about, well, that's where I started the Daily Planet. So yeah. Very, very nice. And what about your Superman fan journey, right? We always call it it's the Superman fan journey. Mm-hmm. Where does your Superman fan journey start? What are the, and I guess like, what are some of the, the big tent poles? Like I always talk about that, the Superman and small, but what are the big tent poles of your fandom? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll start with my uh, fan journey and it actually starts in a very interesting place. That's the earliest memory I can think of um, discovering superheroes. And that was watching Scooby-Doo. And it was the old Scooby-Doo movies, and it was one where Batman and Scooby-Doo crossed over. And I was like, oh, this Batman guy is kind of cool. I'm going to go look into him. And um, I found it uh, a really old World's Finest comic that was so beaten up, it, it missed most of the story. And um, it was the one where Superman pretended to be Batman so... Um, people would stop assuming Batman was Bruce Wayne or, or vice versa for Clark Kent. I don't, I don't remember, but it was super old. And uh, I actually fell in love with Lois Lane there and Superman and their dynamic and Lois's sass. And um, so then I started doing research and I discovered um, Smallville and Smallville around that time, I think it was in season four. And I was watching the reruns on ABC Family, and and that's my major tentpole right there is Smallville. Uh, and then other tentpoles would probably include the animated series Justice Me Justice League Unlimited and Superman the Animated Series, and oh, I, I'm sure there's a third one. Um, uh, it's it might be it's not Death of Superman. Let me look at my comics quick so I can refresh my memory. It's um, it's for tomorrow, Superman for tomorrow. Oh, where, you know, I was gonna. I was. Yeah. It's funny, man. We're on the same wavelength because I was gonna get. I was. I, we must have spoken about that when when I covered it, uh, and that's mm-hmm. why I, I was gonna. I was gonna jump to that. Uh, oh, very cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And so, what what if any 
role did Earth One, these Earth One graphic novels play? Because I know when I reached out to you about doing this, you're like, oh, like, I really enjoyed those. So mm-hmm. I guess, you know, what, what sort of impact did that have on you as a Superman fan when, when those books came out? And they were published in 2010, 2012, and 2015. Yeah. Um, when, when the first one came out, I was in 10th grade in high school. And, um, you know, around that time you're contemplating, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Where am I going to move? Uh, what am I going to do for college? And um, I was revolving around journalism as a career. I also wanted to do architecture, but uh, my my talents were stronger in journalism. And um, reading this book and having most of the story, like or uh, a big chunk of it, take place in the Daily Planet and around journalism and the world of journalism. Um, it was, it was really fun. Um, a lot of the later seasons of Smallville and, and the first four seasons, or at least the first season, really revolved around journalism. And I just liked how all of Superman's adventures would be immortalized for other people to read. And and I wanted to do that for other people. So uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed this book. Uh, the reason I took it off the shelf and, and paid for it uh, uh, was because of the Daily Planet issue printed in the back that retold Superman's story. And I really enjoyed that uh, tie-in newspaper as well. So, Cool. Gotcha. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, I, I suspect people listening to this are familiar with, with these Earth-1 Superman books in particular and with the Earth-1 line generally, but the idea was that this would be, you know, from a, a ground-up, continuity-free uh, approach to DC's most iconic characters. So, I mean, sort of a la Marvel's Ultimate line, but uh, it's definitely aimed more, I think, at the at the at the bookstore market. And the fact that they went with original graphic novels, I think, sort of you know points a little bit more towards that. Uh, they've they've hit on a number of characters in the decade plus since it started. I actually I actually meant to check this. I don't know that any of the books ever had any tie-ins with each other. I think they, for the most part, all ended up being standalone. Do you know? Um, the only tie-in I can remember, and, and this is also why I bought Batman Earth One, but I, I mainly put all my money and effort towards Superman Earth One, but they had a tie-in in the Daily Planet issue uh, about Batman or some the, the bat in Gotham City or something, page whatever. Uh, you can't read about it, but it's... Uh, it's there and that's the only tie-in I can remember. Okay. So yeah, largely, largely standalone. And we ended up with this, this trilogy, this three volume series by J. Michael Straczynski. Now I want to talk about Straczynski here. In addition to the, the three earth one books uh, in anticipation of this episode, I also read his autobiography called becoming Superman <laughs> and it, it was eye opening. I'll circle back to that in, in a second, but Generally speaking, my main experience with Straczynski was his Amazing Spider-Man run. That was where I first met him. I I had never watched Babylon 5 on television, which I know was his big, big claim to fame. Uh, I've never been a huge like sci-fi guy. Uh, in, any, in any event, I had missed the boat on that. Uh, so I really didn't know him when he took over Amazing Spider-Man, and this was the very early 2000s. Have you read that run? No. No, Okay. It's uh well, that's a whole other episode for another podcast that maybe we'll do at some point. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll say this. I, I enjoyed it more than I didn't. And the beginning part of it was very, very strong. 
uh, towards mm-hmm. the end, we got into the whole, uh, you know, one more day territory, which is its own uh, can of worms there. But I really did fall in love with his writing uh, on, on Amazing Spider-Man. And then I went back and I took a look at Rising Stars, which was the the 24-issue series at, at Top Cow that he was doing about these superpowered beings who were um, navigating the world together. And right before Earth One, he took over... Uh, the Superman and Wonder Woman monthly titles. On Superman, he launched the Grounded arc. Uh, he ended up only writing, actually scripting, four out of the intended 12 issues, and then he left to focus on, on Earth-1. And I, I guess, because I remember when the Superman Earth-1 came out, and I think at that point I had soured on Straczynski a bit. Like I said, love the beginning of his Spider-Man run, kind of fell out of love with it by the end, and Rising Stars did eventually finish, but it was plagued by delays. It took years to finish those 24 issues. He, like I said, he left Wonder Woman and Superman early to focus on Earth One. And I think I just sort of came to view him, fairly or not, as as not a finisher, not a closer. <laughs> that was sort of the the view that that I had. So I don't know that I necessarily went into Earth One with with the highest of hopes. Uh, but I, you know, I did, I did pick it up. I, it's funny. I dug this out of my archives here. I remember coming across an ad in, I think it was in a DC comic, uh, or maybe it was even wizard at the time going so far back, but there was an ad for earth one volume one. And I took up, this was over a decade ago. I mean, I took a picture of this cause I was so offended by this <laughs> just, just to, sh- just to give some insight into my mindset going into earth one back in the day. The, the poll quote uh, in this ad, there was a poll quote from The Hollywood Reporter, and it said, what do you get when you combine Twilight and a classic superhero, the new Superman? And that was... <laughs> True story. I have the photographic evidence right here. That is a terrible ad. It, it is. In fairness, it, it is. I, I don't think that accurately represents the Earth One comic. But like I said, that was, you know, I was just going into Earth One, having kind of soured on Straczynski a bit and and seeing press like that. And I was just like, I don't think, I don't think this is going to be for me. <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad to get that reaction because I remember, I mean, I remember seeing that. I'm like, what is this? It just, but again, I think that just spoke to, you know, I guess what DC was trying to do or what they were trying to attract. I, I mean, that, that's what they were putting out there. They were clearly very proud of this, mm-hmm. this description. I'm, I mean, Clark's a bit broody, but I wouldn't compare him to like uh, uh, Edward uh, uh, Cullen or something like that. Like, yeah, it's an inaccurate description. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, then the, the last piece of this trip down memory lane was I remember this was at the time where I was working at my local comic shop, the late alternate realities in New York. And I remember I bought earth one volume one. I went home and I read it. And the next time I came into the store, I remember I was talking with my buddy who worked there and I was giving my review of it. And <laughs> it sound like such a, such a pretentious douche, but this was the review to this day. I remember so vividly standing there in the middle of the store saying that I found Superman earth one to be utterly devoid of any warmth, wit, or charm. That was my review back in 2010. I was not a fan, and I didn't even read volumes two or three until now. Oh, really? Yeah, I was not yeah. <laughs> not on board with these. Uh, I, I've I've uh, 
I've loved just the the way that they're uh, designed and laid out and, and um, the art and the story in them. Uh, I, I kind of, I, I, I liked the darker tone for the origin and, and I'm kind of amazed to hear that you didn't uh, get past the first issue. Yeah, as far as I can remember, I definitely didn't read the third one. It's funny though, reading volume two for this episode, I, it was, it did ring some bells. Maybe I had looked at it at the store, but I don't remember actually, uh, you know, owning it. But hmm. I mean, I say all of that to share that my initial experience with Earth One was not a positive one. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it more for purposes of this. Although it's funny because I know you tweeted about uh, our, our our recording, and uh, you know, a bunch of people responded and. One, I think Rob from the Superfan podcast was not not into Earth One, but but I think like pretty much everyone else who who replied to that tweet, they were all like, I really love Earth One, and mm-hmm. you know it's my favorite take on the Superman origin, and yeah, you know there seemed to be Very, a lot of a lot of positivity. Yeah, some, some I think someone said it's a, an underrated take, and and they're they're really that, that I think that's an accurate description because it's kind of a forgotten piece of Superman history that. Uh, a lot of people don't know about. Um, I remember reading on the back of the front cover too, uh, the writer for the Man of Steel at the time, he was working on the script for Man of Steel. He was, uh, he, he wrote a review for it. I don't remember it word for word, but um, uh, I can see where a lot of things that happened in book one or volume one may have inspired him for his Man of Steel movie. So yeah. Yes, David Goyer. I I, I clock yeah, I, I clocked that as well uh, <laughs> and seeing that on, on on the on the back cover and yeah I mean reading this and for anyone who's not familiar it is it's a, a fresh retelling of mm-hmm. of Clark's beginnings as Superman his arrival in Metropolis getting the job at the Daily Planet actually donning the costume uh, and he contends over the course of these three volumes with uh, an invasion by the 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 alien. Uh, planet planet that actually was responsible for the destruction of Krypton. He takes on a version of Parasite and and a version of of Zod, and and meets and develops a relationship with a, a non Lois Lane love interest, uh, which which was a different spin. So, but yeah, reading it, I mean, it definitely it definitely made me think of Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. There, there, especially thematically, the whole question of how the world would receive someone with these powers. And certainly in that first volume, the fact that it's this alien invasion that draws him out and, and prompts him to step forward into the world. It's not a Kryptonian invasion, but it's close enough. So yeah, you yeah. definitely see, you definitely see ways in which, uh, you know, there, there was some, there was some inspiration there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in the first volume alone, when, when Clark gets hit by that uh, solar blast, that really reminded me of Man of Steel with the gravity beam. But that's we could talk about that later, too. Yeah. Oh, and even uh, even a, a more recent potential inspiration, uh, I thought of Superman and Lois uh, reading volume two when he fights Parasite. And there's this whole bit where the the his Kryptonian ship says to him, the AI explains that if Parasite totally drains the, the solar energy from your cells, it could damage the cells and you might yeah. remain powerless. And I, I have to imagine that someone from the Superman and Lois writings that have read that because we're, as you and I are recording this, we're, we're in the midst of that right now in season two of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I could definitely see, I mean, I hope that the people writing Superman and Lois have read 
some Superman comics, but I can definitely see that uh, correlating. So, yeah, I certainly get the sense you're you're more more positive on these books than than I am. I, I'll give my my overall impression of these three volumes of Superman Earth One. Overall, I did enjoy them. I found them to be a, a worthwhile reading mm-hmm. project. I found them to be very brisk reads, which <laughs> is either a compliment or not. I don't know. I read yeah. real fast. <laughs> yeah, they're they're very brief. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because you know they're three, you know they're three full length original graphic novels, and you know mm-hmm. they they didn't take too long to get through. So they're I think they're very readable, they're very brisk, and there you know there wasn't anything that I was so put off by, but they did not resonate with me the way that I think they did with you or some of the folks who responded to your tweet. And I think that in part it might be I, I don't think that I'm ultimately the intended audience for this. I, I think yeah. they really were designed to introduce new readers to Superman, either people who had never read comics before or people who had read comics, but were like, ah, I'm not interested in Superman. Mm. And that's not me. I've poured over every telling of this character's origin story. So, I, you know, I don't think that I was necessarily the the intended target here, which is fine. Like, I don't need to yeah. be for, you know, for, for every story. And I think that for the most part, I couldn't help. And I really, you know, I really tried, but I couldn't help but compare what I was reading to to what I saw in Man of Steel or what I read in Superman Birthright or some of the other mm-hmm. origin stories. And, you know, the, the comparison didn't ultimately land in Earth One's favor. And that's not its fault. But, you know, so I was I was sort of contending with that. Uh, I did think that there were some clever, interesting, fresh spins on traditional aspects of the mythology. You know, we could talk about that. I thought there were some clever spins. I thought there were other choices that sort of felt to me like change like a change for change's sake but i didn't necessarily think it was the right one or one that added something tremendously of, of value to me but again that that that's just me overall like i said I'm, I'm glad that that i read them um but now so for you having gone back to them like did they hold up for you um the first one definitely does hold up for me um it was such a bright burn uh but as the series went on, it got a little dimmer and dimmer, uh, especially the third book. It, uh, it lost its overall um, feel by the third book. Uh, and to be honest, it felt a little rushed and, and kind of like they were coming to an end, which it, it did. Um, but the first book still held up for me. Um, I still really enjoyed seeing the Daily Planet issue tie in at the back. Uh, the second one also had a Daily Planet issue tie-in, but it was uh, a lot smaller. But the story overall was pretty uh, interesting. Um, but the third one, I, I, I didn't. I got bored. You know, I, it was a struggle to get through again. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And you know, so far we've mentioned the writer of of these works, Straczynski. We'll touch on the artist for a moment here. So mm-hmm. uh, Shane Davis drew volumes one and two. Yeah. Uh, I had not, I mean, I remember when when he was doing these books, I had not kept track of them since. Uh, yeah. I just sort of checked in the other day to see, you know, what was going on. I noticed that he is, is a member of the Comicsgate group movement, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. That's not something that I'm a part of make of that what you will, but that was sort of what I, what I learned and sort of doing a little bit of prep for this. And then uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the name right, but Artie and Saif drew volume three. And I was not familiar with this artist at all outside of the earth one book that we read. 
And so I looked him up and and discovered that uh, this was back in 2017. There was an issue of X-Men Gold that he drew. And there were all of these anti-Semitic and anti-Christian messages that were Im- embedded throughout the issue. So, I, you know, I say all of this to say that, you know, there's a little bit of baggage, I guess, associated with with these books here uh, that, yeah. again, I was not aware of when I <laughs> embarked upon this. And, you know, it is what it is and people can draw their own conclusions. But uh, that was sort yeah. of what we discovered as we were <laughs> making our way yeah, through these. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that either until you pointed it out uh, a few days before, or I think it was yesterday and it, it was disappointing to learn because the art was a major factor of why I enjoyed these books. And, and now there's like a, a, a bitterness behind it for me. And, and it, and it definitely changed the way I look at the books, but, uh, and, and I in no way want to support those artists for uh, and what, they're trying to put out there in the world, but yeah, no, I yeah, listen, I, 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 I understand, but I mean, look, as you know, and as uh, the audience is, I, I tend to focus more on the, uh, on the, the writing side of these stories mm-hmm. when we discuss them anyway, and bringing this back to, to Straczynski, I, like I said, I read his, his autobiography in advance of this. I bought it well, about a year ago, like kind of early on into this podcast, because I knew I would get to Earth One at some point. And, and I was like, I, you know, I, I knew this was out there and it was called Becoming Superman. And the cover of the book, it's, you know, his, uh, an illustration of his closet and there's like the George Reeves costume hanging there. And I remember reading about it when it came out. And so again, I picked it up last year and, and then in advance of this recording, I was like, well, now's the time. Let me, let me at least read a few chapters. And, it's a pretty thick <laughs> book, and I got through the whole thing uh, in, a, in a couple of days. I was really riveted by it, more so than Earth One, to be perfectly honest. I really, mm-hmm. I really do encourage people to to, to check out the Straczynski uh, book, Becoming Superman. It's it's nonfiction, so it's not like I can technically spoil anything. But at the same time, I I think I would be doing it a disservice if I like, laid out his entire life history. I think people should experience it through the book. But what I'll say is this. He experienced a truly horrific upbringing that was filled with with a, abuse of of all kinds, um, physical, sexual, emotional. Uh, it was really harrowing. Uh, the family moved virtually every year, so he was constantly having to start new schools and try to fit in. Uh, there was bullying. There were beatdowns from from classmates. Uh, there were, you know, nights sent to, you know, sent to bed without food and, and not being, not having enough heat. I mean, they're like anything that you could imagine uh, was part of the story. And and overall, just this absolute absence of affection from either parent. Uh, and I read this over Father's Day weekend. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was it was heartbreaking, and it was one of those things where I know I talk a lot on the show about becoming a dad and how that changed my perspective so much. And it's like even before our son was born, like even when we just knew we were having him, it's like, it was just this instinct of like, I have to give him my best. Mm-hmm. It's like, I have to, like, I don't, I, I'll get philosophical for a second. But like, I don't think there's much that's really owed in this world. Like I believe more than anything you owe yourself. You owe a lot to yourself. I don't know that there's yeah. much else that's really owed, but I think as a parent, you, you owe your kid your, your best, like the best that you can do. You got to try. Uh, so to read this story, where he, he had the exact opposite experience, 
it was heartbreaking. I mean, like tearing up talking, like it was heartbreaking. And it's kind of shocking he made it out the way he did and was able to build this career for himself. And that's a big part of the story as well, is, is how he, he found this escape in writing and in Superman, how Superman was this inspiration, and he found this outlet in writing. Uh, and a, a good part of the book, too, it's, it's, it's not all the, the heavy stuff. A good part of the book is about uh, him navigating uh, the, you know, the, the comic book industry and, and Hollywood. So there's that aspect of it, too, which, mm-hmm. which is fascinating in its own right. Uh, but I'm glad that I read it, I mean, just on a human level, you know, it, it really gave a lot of insight, but it also, it also did shine a light for me on, on, I, I guess his, his approach to Superman. And there are a couple of instances, which we can unpack where you see, you know, and I read the book first and then I, I read earth one. And it's like, you could see instances where what he went through informed the way he's approaching the character and presenting the character. So it was a fascinating exercise overall. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, his, I guess his origin story uh, in passing. And I, I didn't dive too deep because I did want to hear it and, and give you my initial reaction. And I did not know that about him, but now that you're mentioning it, I can kind of see those themes woven into uh, these stories there are at least especially in the second book there are instances of abuse and uh, be it substance abuse or or um, abuse of different kinds there's there's this one moment in the second book where Lisa I forget her last name but it's another double alliteration with L's and she she is about to be assaulted and Superman saves her and that kind of gives it more impact because he himself has went through something like that and probably wished he would have been saved. So that's, wow, that's a very emotional thing to go through. And I'm going to have to give that book a read. I, I do recommend it. Let's take a quick commercial break. And then I do, there are a few specific examples that I want to point to where I can see his, his background informing choices that he made. So let's take a quick commercial break and then, and then we'll discuss. We'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail-order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, 
Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Skokie, Illinois, Muncie, Indiana, or Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop. If you have kids and are looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Oh, yeah. And we're back. So like I said, especially after reading the autobiography, it, it, it definitely it clarified some of the, the story choices in, in Straczynski's Superman work. Even before Earth One, I mentioned earlier, he had done this, he had started this grounded arc in the, the monthly Superman title right before uh, the, the New 52. And he ended up only writing four issues before he left to focus on Earth One. But the gist of it was that Superman was going to walk America and and uh, sort of reconnect with the, the the common person and their 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 everyday issues sort of the inciting incident for this for people who, who haven't read it or, or don't remember is Superman's been off dealing with the, um, the this was during at the end of the new Krypton arc so he's been off dealing with new Krypton he comes back and he, there's this press conference and this woman comes up and slaps him and she's like while you were off doing all of this like my husband died from a tumor and you could have caught it with your x-ray vision and and used your heat vision to remove it. And I feel like that might be putting a little bit much on Superman, but in any in any yeah. event, uh, this idea that he's often dealing with these world-threatening or universe-threatening crises and that he might have lost sight of, again, the person on the street, mm-hmm. and he's going to try to reconnect through this walkabout is interesting. I don't know. I mean, I from what I've read, you know, from what I remember at the time and what I've read since, I don't believe that that this arc was particularly well received. I don't know that the, the execution really worked. I do think that the idea was an interesting one. Uh, a part of me wonders if this would have made more sense if Clark walked the Earth. I mean, it definitely has yeah. a different effect when when Superman strolls into town. But again, I guess that makes for you know that that pops a little bit more as far as the story goes. But the last issue that Straczynski wrote himself was it had a it had a, a child with a black eye on the cover. And in the story, Superman's going through this town and, and he he with his, his super hearing, he hears this child who has been knocked around and, and locked in, in his basement and Superman saves him. He intervenes. And it's one of those things where people and maybe even myself, if I had read it initially, I, I don't know, might have thought that it, it just came across as... Um, I don't even know what what word you you, you want to put on it, but not not even preachy, but just sort of, um, I don't even know what 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 I would what I would use to describe it. But knowing what he went through, it's like you see, it's like oh, like this is this is what he wished had happened for him. Yes, exactly. and now he's able to live that out through this story. So it's like it totally it totally works. In that, I remember, in that sense. I remember that story you're you're 
uh, describing vividly, actually, that is the last arc or the last uh, part of that arc that I remember reading and knowing that he himself did go through that and that he probably did wish for a hero to save him. Like, again, I, I, I agree. It gives a new weight to the way he told it. After school, especially that might've been the mm-hmm. word. That's what I was searching for there. I think maybe oh, it, it kind of yeah. comes across as that if you, you know, without knowing sort of the, 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 the backdrop. So armed with that, I definitely appreciated that story more. And then in the earth one books, uh, do you remember the whole story that he tells Lisa in volume two about the cat? Yes. Yep. That moves Lisa to tears. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story about this cat he found and they bonded and they were inseparable and when the cat passed, uh, Clark flew him up to the moon, buried him on the moon, because that's what they would always do. Clark and the cat would sit out on the porch and look up at the moon. I mean, it's, you know, it, it tugs at the heartstrings. It's very beautiful, yeah. So when Straczynski was growing up, um, again, they moved all the time, and he would often take in a stray cat when, when they got to their new destination. And when it was time to move again, sort of the deal that his father had, had made with him was if the cat was still with us, you can take the cat to our new place. And again, you know, he's a, he's a kid, and inevitably what would happen every time it came time for this move is that the cat would have gotten out or would have died or couldn't be found. And what Straczynski eventually realized was that his father was responsible for all this. It wasn't a coincidence that the cats never made it to moving day. My God. And so again, and like, again, that's a specific example of stuff in the book. Like that's the sort of, like, that's what we're dealing with. There's also, I know I said I wasn't going to lay it all out, but this one is particularly, I think will particularly scream at us comic book fans to to punish Straczynski at, at one point his father rips up his comic book collection and we're talking these are comics from the early 60s I mean it doesn't even matter their value or anything like that like they had sentimental value and they meant a lot to him and his father just ripped them up in front of him that's the sort of stuff that you know we're talking about here but so when you get to that story that he tells Lisa in volume two about about this cat and that they you know he was able to to be with this cat for the duration of its natural life and then you know, put the cat in a place where that, you know, you could always quote unquote, see him again. It's like working, you know, it's that, I guess, wish fulfillment of, of, you know, what he was deprived of as, as a kid. And so, you know, something like that, like so stood out and it was like, oh, I could get, like, I get why we have this little, you know, uh, you know, uh, the diversion about the cat. Like that's, that's what we're, that's why. That just adds a, an incredibly different artistic, and, and kind of tragically beautiful weight to the stories. Um, I, I really do need to read his uh, book now, but from what you just described, uh, it, uh, even with what's in Superman Grounded, uh, besides the, the child abuse story, it, it, I'm at a loss for words. That's just incredibly beautiful that he put those tragic experiences into something that he loved so someone else reading it could find hope in a way i I feel like that's what he was trying to convey now that i'm seeing it through that lens and and that's incredibly brilliant and i don't know how else to describe it and that's like i said before about earth one generally you know i don't know that i was the intended audience right i wasn't a new superman reader but you know and similarly here you know with something like that you know, that, that grounded issue that we're talking about, it's like, you know, I'm fortunate that I did not experience that, but it's mm-hmm. like maybe for someone who has experienced that or is experiencing that, 
and they they have that story and that offers something for them, you know, then it, it it's worthwhile. And, and yeah, above all that, he was able to to channel this into something. The yeah. I guess the last but big picture uh, way I think that his his upbringing influenced the way he approaches Superman is. You know, in, in these Earth One books, I feel like Superman's or Clark's social and emotional development, at least at the outset, is far more stunted than than we've seen before. He's far mm-hmm. more alienated and withdrawn than other tellings of the story. And that was a you know, that was a big part of the book as well. And I think this was this was born out of the abuse and keeping that secret, but also the moves. The fact that he was mm-hmm. just constantly moving. And you know, would always try to uh, do whatever he could to fit in as much as possible to not get picked on. So, you know, whatever, you know, mimicking speech patterns of like whatever it was to just sort of blend in as much as possible, but to the detriment of his own personality development. So it became yeah. this thing where he didn't really have as as distinct an identity of himself because he was just used to being this chameleon and constantly changing. And so... Mm-hmm. uh you know, so I think that like, that was a big part of his personal journey, and I think you see that in this version of Clark, who really, again, is far more withdrawn and has yeah. a harder time connecting on any level. And I, I really think, I mean, I have to imagine that that's born out of his experience. Yeah, no, I, I, I can totally see that. Um, like uh, you mentioned, uh, Straczynski is a former journalist, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, I didn't know if. Uh, the listeners knew that or not, but I, I didn't know that. And you can see Clark in the books come out of his shell when he is at the daily planet and uh, uh, kind of grows into his own there because that is something he liked to do. And, um, and I can now see Straczynski doing that as well when he found his own, wherever he ended up as a journalist. Yeah, 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 totally. And so on that note of of the journalism, let's let's talk about that, especially given your background. I, like I said, I think the Daily Planet gets a fair amount of play here. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I would say that the, the Perry and the Lois are fairly traditional. I mean, Lois ends up not being a love interest, which we'll talk about, which is, is, yeah. is a different twist yeah. on it. But I got to talk, we got to talk about Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> oh, God. He looks like a 30 year old man uh, who, who he looks way older than Clark. I don't know if that was like an inspiration from Smallville, but <laughs> it was, it's very off putting because he's not, he's not the meek little uh, f- photographer that we're also used to. Like the one that is like, yes, Miss Lane and Mr. Kent or something like that. The bow time wearing uh, freckled faced redhead uh, following behind Lois uh, to take a photo he's he's kind of a smart ass to parry too and and it's just very off-putting see like i, I mean i get that for me it worked like i was I, because yeah. and, and here's the thing that's tough and i i do i don't envy straczynski in this respect when you're doing one of these origin stories from the ground up and you're not shackled by any continuity like we talked about this when when i when i talked to mark wade himself about birthright it's like you know he diverged a bit from the established continuity Mm. but it wasn't a total 180 at the end of the day the idea was that we're still in this post-crisis john byrne mold of the character Mm -hmm. yes we're going to have some some changes with this but it's not like a radical overhaul 
he still had to work within the confines of the established continuity, whereas here you don't. And so I imagine that becomes a tough thing. It's like, how much familiarity should there be? How familiar yeah. should these versions of the characters be such that Superman fans are, you know, find something to latch onto, aren't put off, aren't nitpicky about it, although that <laughs> will always happen, yeah. myself included, uh, you know, versus doing something that's that's new and different and that might appeal to a different audience. So I think that's a very tough line to walk. I like this version of Jimmy. I feel like Jimmy, you know, Jimmy can use a, a, a bit of an update. And I, age, yeah. age aside, I mean, I think the thing that I just loved was he's this action photographer. It's like this guy gets the shot no matter what. Like, and he does yeah. not back down. I mean, it's kind of, it, it's almost insane at a certain point, <laughs> the level of danger that he's putting himself in. I mean, the, the alien invaders in the first issue, they think he might be the alien they're looking for. I know. And that's like, insane to me. <laughs> that just kind of shows how great he is. And, and it does bring a uh, cool and I guess needed angle to him too, because he's supposed to be this uh, Pulitzer prize winning journalist or photographer in mainstream, uh, mainstream continuity. And it, you don't get to see that. It's, it's almost like he's accidentally great, but in here he, he is, purposes purposefully great i just i wish he would have been more for me at least i wish he would have been more the recognizable uh jimmy than the one we got to see gotcha what was was your take on on perry and and just the depiction of the the newspaper and the newsroom itself okay um well perry he he wasn't very different uh most incarnations is that's what i see as perry uh i don't feel we get to see perry enough because he is a great character we never get Um, to see perry enough ever there's never enough perry no there's not great caesar's ghost there's not um but my favorite great shades of elvis as my favorite perry white would say from Lawson and clark but uh no he he was his hard-nosed kind of dad role journalism guy at the uh, daily planet um one of my uh favorite things though about the daily planet and this is it was a failing newspaper and and that was very interesting to me um there were i I don't the the newsroom was dilapidated it was it was dirty dingy um mostly empty you only got to see maybe a few background characters and then there's lois and jimmy and perry's assistant which her name escapes me but she kind of reminded me of harley quinn um and then perry and uh they were kind of holding the bullpen together and i liked that it was a very it wasn't because uh secret origins did something like that but it was a great take on uh on newspapers because around that time a lot of newspapers were struggling because digital uh the digital era was taking hold and they didn't really know how to adjust so i enjoyed seeing that yeah yeah i i I appreciated that as well i think yeah it's it's true to life it also helps explain how someone with as little experience as Clark has could end up getting oh, a job. I mean, yes, he ends up also coming in with the Superman exclusive, but even that we'll aside, talk about that later. Gosh. <laughs> oh, the ethical implications of that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, no, I, I like I like this. You know, the struggling daily planet. It certainly makes sense. I mean, it's it's so funny, especially over the course of doing this podcast and jumping around in time, and and you know, looking at the George Reeves show from the fifties, or even Lois and Clark from the nineties. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they seem to have these endless expense you know, uh, accounts and budgets. It's like, you know, especially when they go on location, they're taking these trips and it's like Lois and Clark and they bring Jimmy and it's just like, <laughs> yeah. man, like what a different time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think one of my favorite Perry moments in this, I agree. I think it's a very traditional take on the character, mm-hmm. nothing outside the box, but I did love at the start of volume two, uh, where Clark is admiring the framed photo of his article uh, interviewing Superman and Perry has this moment with him and he's like, do you know why I frame those? It's like, it's not to memorialize it. Like that's yeah. part of it, but it's because it's old news. Mm-hmm. Like you got to get on to the next thing. You got to keep moving forward. I really like, I thought that was a nice, that was a nice touch, a nice moment there. Yeah. 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 No. Um, I myself, you know, frame stories and, and, uh, and that's not the reason why I do it. It's because it's a um, mark of success for me, but I liked his point of view because in the world of journalism, you're only as great as your current story. And it could be a story you've just printed or you're working on, or you just tweeted about, but you have to keep working hard and doing the work. And I actually learned a lot from Perry (laughs) throughout these books and in Superman comics in general. So I, I did enjoy that he was more classic Perry in these. And, and what was your take on, on this Lois? It was an interesting take on Lois. She was, she was Lois. Nonetheless. Um, I did like how she wasn't initially like a love interest for Clark. I like to believe that over time they'd become friends like in, Lois and Clark or any other interpretation uh, Smallville, which is my favorite where they were like frenemies. And then they, uh, they grew to become uh, best friends and then fell in love and then got married. I love that interpretation. And I feel like that's kind of how it started on Superman and Lois too. And I feel like that's where this might've gone if it continued, but I liked that she wasn't just the, damsel for him to save all the time there were times he did save her sure but she she was just this hard-nosed journalist that he competed with at the planet or worked with uh, or inspired him as well to even finally make the decision to join the daily planet so yeah i did i did like this take yeah i guess i'm kind of conflicted i you know i said before some of the changes felt like changes for changes sake you know they Mm -hmm. by the end of the trilogy here straczynski has positioned lois effectively as as superman's commissioner gordon i mean to the point where (laughs) there's there's the superman signal in the sky and she's standing on the rooftop and she's offering him some advice and i mean other than that i mean again she is that that hard-nosed reporter she investigates clark Mm-hmm. Right when he comes off the street with this, yep. you know, amazing exclusive interview with Superman, and she digs into I mean, his background. Wouldn't? Of course. So yeah. I think like it, she hits the beats that you would expect. I think this is where I'm conflicted because, on the one hand, I definitely don't think that Lois should only be defined, or even or even be defined by her, you know, the romantic relationship with Clark or Superman. Exactly. Right. She needs to stand yep. on her own. 
But where's the line? Because I mean, I like that's one of the things I, you so associate those two characters with with yeah. each other in that context, and so to eliminate it, I guess I and especially to then sort of replace it with that Commissioner Gordon dynamic. I I don't know. I, I I'm not I'm not like offended by it, but it mm-hmm. I, I I don't know that I I love it. It's 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 it doesn't feel right in Superman lore, and and that's why I was hoping more that they become like a partnership instead. I, I hated the Superman logo in the sky. I hated that so much that belongs in Gotham and Batman. It just, um, if she needs his attention, she could literally just say Superman come here. I don't know why they had to go that much into, uh, uh, into it, but um, I agree with you as well. She, she shouldn't be defined by his, her relationship with him in, in any instance he i guess superman should superman and lois you know it's one of those they they've always been together since the very start and uh it was jerry and joe's initial intention for them to get together but uh i i agree with you she shouldn't be defined by his her relationship with him and for a long time she was and and i did and I, I enjoyed the aspect where in this story she wasn't I think you hit the nail on the head from for, for it for me though because it it's not even so much that like oh they weren't romantically involved but it's like they were barely involved at, at all yeah I, I think that's the thing I think if you had seen them sort of working a story yeah. together that yeah, would have gone a long way for me exactly yes um that was the problem that was more the problem I had with it I think you you you, yeah. you got at the heart of it there's I I kind of the Lisa character of it all. I, I wish there would have been more Lois interaction where Lois was here. Like I wish he told that cat story to Lois, for instance, or, or bonding over friendships like that. Um, or bonding over Clark's past and becoming uh, uh, friends over something like that. Because we all know, I don't know this version of Lois, but Lois hasn't had the greatest backstory either with her family always moving and stuff. And, I feel like they could have shared their past experiences and, and kind of grown closer. Instead, she, she kind of looked like a reporter scorned for missing the big scoop because she didn't get the interview with, uh, with Clark, with Superman. And Clark, quote unquote, did get the interview with Superman. Right. And, and uh, um, I, I understood her anger because she was a... Uh, she was a reporter at the Daily Planet, but, um, and he wasn't. And I don't know. I don't really. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I, the, with the, with the Lisa character. So this was his neighbor, Lisa LaSalle, right? His, his neighbor. Yep, in, LaSalle, in this building, and, and she's a, an aspiring model and actress. But as we and Clark find out relatively early on to meet, to make ends meet, she, she hooks on the side, as she says. Yep. Uh, so she's an escort or prostitute, whatever you want to call it and sex worker a sex work yeah sure yeah and you know what i think what was what worked about it was you know a you see clark's lack of judgment towards her right he he still continues to develop this friendship which later Mm -hmm. by the end of the third volume seems to be segueing into something even more meaningful but you know he 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 doesn't you know judge or, or or ostracize or anything like that yeah and you know, you see the parallels between the characters. Like she has this mm-hmm. secret that she's been keeping that she's afraid will change the way people look at her. 
And when exactly. she shares it with Clark, he, he doesn't turn his back on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as Clark obviously is harboring this massive secret as well, which Lisa discovers in, in yes. the third volume. She's rooting through his closet and she finds his costume. Yep. She, did Lisa remind you of anybody, by the way, when she was first introduced? Oh, like Mary Jane? No, no. I was thinking more Lana. Well, kind the red like hair, sure. Visually, she looked like Lana. Uh, and I was wondering if you do like, was she supposed to be a or an original take on Lana Lang? Not as far as I know. I'm not. I don't know if Straczynski has addressed that anywhere. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously with the LL and the red hair, it certainly calls calls that character to mind. But and and here's the other thing I'll say in in defense of this. I I really. I mean, I did like their the development of their relationship first as as friends, and and you know, I I did enjoy that and. I mean, I guess here's the thing. If you're not going to put Lois and Clark together, mm-hmm. you might as well explore other romantic paths for yes. the characters. And I feel like when yeah. we, you know, whether New 52 or whatever, well, I mean, same thing. And we're going to be covering that on, on upcoming episodes. But, you know, there too, the Superman Wonder Woman of it all. Mm-hmm. You know, is that my preferred oh, take? My. No, but. No way. <laughs> but I, it's like, if you're going to start over and you're not going to have them together, it's like, well, right like take this opportunity to explore this other territory so i i did appreciate the attempt at at a new character and i did enjoy the 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 dynamic between them and there was a Mm -hmm. tenderness there i thought and and you really got to see them find some some comfort and some some common ground in each other uh so i i don't really have a bad word to say about lisa herself it you know as a longtime superman fan yeah it was weird yeah It, it was weird not to see lois and clark really interacting much generally not no. having any sort of romantic entanglement and you know for for Clark to be you know embarking on this relationship with a wholly original character like it's not you know if Lana showed up from Smallville it's like oh, okay like we you know we have this familiarity like this was a yeah, yeah. kind of a big swing i think off yeah. of the story i i did appreciate that they kept the double l alliteration there yes. uh, as most of Clark's love interests have lls uh, so i did appreciate that <laughs> So, you know, I said before that thematically this shares a lot of the same DNA with Man of Steel. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the you know, Clark's sort of agonizing over whether or not to step out into the world and and then the world's reaction to him. Yes. It's, the irony is not lost on me because as, <laughs> as even upon reread, I, I kept coming back to this, the word cold. Like there was a coldness to yes. the proceedings and I think that's born a, a lot out of, again, Clark's, the alienation that Clark feels. Mm-hmm. I think that sort of permeates the stories. But as a reader and as a Superman fan, that's not necessarily the feeling that I want to have. And I recognize, I'm going to say it before anyone thinks it or tweets it at me. I recognize that as someone who loves the Snyder movies that, you know, I, I, I know what the criticisms are of the movies. And I, I feel like that's one of the things that's often lobbed at, at yeah. the Snyder movies. And again, I don't share that, but I do sort of see it in these books. And so I think that was one of the things that was a little bit of a roadblock for me. I mean, not like they're these soulless stories. I mean, there's some heart there, but overall just this sense of coldness that I just kept coming back to. Um, can I ask like what made you feel the most cold in these stories? That's the thing. I can't, I wish I could pinpoint. I was thinking about oh, it. I was okay. like, what, what, what? Like, it's not, like, that's the thing. It's not like, oh, like this one thing. Yeah, it was it's, just it's sort just of like, the vibe of it. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, they are very uh, visually, visual wise, they are very muted. Um, 
and they are very it's it's like a darker world in a way um hope i don't want to say hopeless uh because it it's not hopeless 100 but it is um it is visually and and tonally it's it, there's dark tones in there and i think it's more realistic that way at least for someone who has seen abuse and and relating back to Straczynski's past uh i think i do think he wrote the story uh for himself or for people like him and and keeping that in mind does it does myself bring for me at least bring a different light to the stories but i can totally see where you're coming from with uh with the criticisms and relating it to the Snyderverse. Um, I never understood those criticisms for the movies. Uh, I, I do get other criticisms. You know, everybody has their own takes of something and, and uh, no, I, I can see where you're coming from with your uh, coldness. Yeah, and, and, but, you know, building off of what you were saying, uh, you know, about how Straczynski's, you know, experience inform this. I think that's that's the thing that I, I can recognize and, and understand and accept is that because I was really thinking about this a lot too, how this Clark was was different, had a harder time relating. I mean, there are scenes at the beginning like where he's looking into the diner and he's seeing people there and he puts on the hood and he walks away and it's like Yeah. I think like just thinking about my 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 own my, you know, my own experience, you know, I was you know, comic book fan when no one, you know, at school was. So I had like this thing that was a big part of my life, but I didn't really share it until I started working at the comic book store. And then it was like this whole other world opened up to me. And I mean, I was out of shape and overweight until college. So, you know, there was always that part. I was very self-conscious and I, you know, so, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think some of the themes that you often see explored, especially in a Superman origin story, I can identify with, but, you know, thankfully, like I've never felt the degree of, alienation that that the clark in this story does and you know even when we get the glimpses into his upbringing whether it's through flashbacks or lois's investigation i mean you know this is like clark's time in smallville is is you know, like what we saw on the television show but like to to another level i mean he's really yeah. not engaged like he purposely gets c's in all of his classes so he can just like fly under the radar you don't really mm-hmm. get the sense that there was alana or that anything no. developed between them and so I, I just think like that, that doesn't necessarily speak to me, but it doesn't have mm-hmm. to. Like, again, like that's the thing. It's okay and I get it. But I think that's why it's a little harder for me to latch on to this character because it's like, I, yeah. again, I felt some of the things, like some of the, the, the versions of things that other, other iterations of Clark have felt, but this was like a little bit, a little bit beyond for me. So I think I had a harder time like really connecting and being like, oh, like I totally get what he's feeling here. Mm-hmm. But I get why other people would. Like, I I do get that. Yeah, that's one of the great things. I mean, one of the things I love about Superman and all his other takes is because each story can mean something special to someone else. And and I love that. And and that's why I never knock a story involving my favorite characters because what I might not like might be why someone else loves them. And, And... no, I, I enjoy those perspectives and I think they matter. 
I look, going back to the, the Becoming Superman book, you know, Straczynski talks about watching the George Reeves show. That, that was before the comics for him. That was the thing that introduced him to Superman and that offered him this salvation, that there was someone who was just like this good and, and strong and pure and would stand yeah. up for people. And I mean, I happen to love the George Reeves show, but you know, yeah. if someone watches it now and they're like, oh, this is, you know, hokey, this 50 show, it's like, well, like that might've been the only salvation for this, for this author you know, yeah. as, as a child. Sure. So it's like, it means like things mean, you know, different things to people and you don't always know, but it's, I agree with yeah. you. It's like, and it's important to, you know, res- have that respect and understanding. When did those shows, they came out in the mid fifties, right? 52 to 58. Yeah. Yeah. It probably meant a lot to a lot of people because uh, it was a light, it, it was very, I don't want to say campy, but it was very light and fluffy. And especially for people coming right off of world war two, like fresh off, uh, maybe a few years yeah uh, dealing with that trauma so they it i can see how others would relate to light and fluffy but no i i completely agree he probably watched that and and saw that take and he's like i wish that man would have saved me yeah, yeah. i wish those they need to put that on hbo max because i was watching that on dc universe and they took it off and i i mean they took everything off and it was so man, <laughs> now we come to my regularly scheduled rant about what's not available. It's cra- I mean, I bought I bought them all on DVD because I just got to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm not. I just want to know that I have them. Yeah, uh, but it's it's ridiculous that they're not. I, you know, again, yeah. I, I say this a lot, but I just feel like as for Warner Brothers with all of the the shows and movies and with with DC with the comics, I just I feel like just from the historical perspective, there's a certain measure of responsibility here in preserving and presenting this material I, I you know it's it's i don't know there i obviously i'm biased as a superman fan but i feel yeah, like no. the place that the character occupies like des- deserves more anyway that's a, a side thing but <laughs> uh as far as the the kents and martha in particular right because in these stories jonathan has just mm-hmm. passed within the past yep. year we don't know how or why we don't get any of, of that uh, but but we know that that he's passed and Clark has these phone calls with Martha and we also mm-hmm. see some flashbacks. And uh, I mean, I guess what what was your take on uh, on the Kents in this and and the advice that they gave him, especially with respect to what his role in the world would would be? Um, uh, and especially in the first one when he's. Uh, coming out as Superman or he's about to, or, or contemplating what to do with his life. He is, uh, he's a new implant in Metropolis and he's trying to find his way and he's Superman. He can do whatever he wants. He's brilliant. He's uh, creative. And he, if he puts focuses in his energy somewhere, he could literally do whatever he wants. And we get to see that. And um, he, he tells about, he tells his mom, he, he just wants to support her make sure she's safe. He, she's done so much for him. And she comes back and she's like, Clark, that's great and all. And I appreciate it. Um, but I want you to do what's best for you. Um, you know what I want from you, uh, but that might not be what's best for you. And just hearing that is so incredible because the Kents are just so wise in a lot of uh in incarnations and this one especially his mom just really hit the the nail on the head um she she just was such a supportive mom she knew 
that he was struggling and she didn't push him. She didn't, uh, she didn't uh, try to sway him to do whatever he didn't want to do. Um, and she, I don't know, there's just this respect there that they had for each other that I, I really enjoyed. Um, and I, I, I love when he calls his parents because he, he literally could just fly over there and see them whenever he wants, but just knowing that they're there and they always pick up it. It's, it's such a nice, one of those anchors for Clark to stay grounded. Yeah. I mean, totally. And yeah, I enjoy those the phone calls, and then at at the end when he brings Lisa there, and they have their their in person meeting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one of the moments that really just broke my heart was in, in the volume three when uh, he's he's fighting Zod, and this looks like it's going to be it for him. And he grabs mm-hmm. a phone from from one of the citizens on the street, and he just calls his mom, and he's like, I, "I think this is it. I love you." Like it's, I it's, mean, it's heartbreaking. He had such a connection with Martha in this something that he had in Smallville too. I think that's why I loved it so much. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I was about to go deep there, but I, I'm, I'll wait a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I guess growing up myself, I didn't have that connection with my own mom. I was raised by my grandparents, uh, but I did have that connection with my grandma. And it's something I wish I had with my mom, but recognized with my grandma and seeing that uh seeing that represented in such a way is always so nice uh, for me as at least. And then seeing it represented in a way that I wish I also had uh, experienced was it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why I love Superman is, is his connection with his parents, especially his mom. No, I, I understand. I, I, I mean, look, I've spoken about it so many times. I mean, I love I always love the scenes with, with the Kents and, mm-hmm. and the, you know, the homespun earthy wisdom that, that they impart to him. And, you know, Jonathan via flashback, you know, has, has this whole bit about, uh, you know, how you can sort of be asleep through your life, you know, be sleeping mm-hmm. through your life and kind of get stuck. And then, you know, you have these moments where you're tested and you really, you know, have to sort of stand up and see who stands with you and, and, you know, take that action. Uh, you know, I've talked about this a lot. I, I, I do ultimately gravitate toward the version of the story where the Kents are both alive. But um, if, if Jonathan has to have passed one thing that I do quote unquote like about that is that it opens up more for Martha to do. And so I I like that she was really that, um, that touchstone for him throughout these stories. Yeah. Uh, It was, it was interesting in the phone calls and in the flashbacks that Jonathan and Martha were, were, I mean, not, not, shoving it down his throat but like they were encouraging slash pushing clark toward taking the step they made him the costume they yeah. interesting here i did not like this the deviation from the uh from the s being the family symbol and and standing for hope i've really come to like that i know straczynski doesn't because he wrote about it in his book when he talked about <laughs> writing earth one how he didn't like this idea that it was the family crest and that it meant hope so you know he went back to them just literally coming up with you know, the S standing for Superman, you know, Martha's like, you know, I thought S for son. And then Jonathan has this whole thing about like, well, you're not just a man, like you're this extraordinary man, you're a Superman. Uh, 
which again goes back more to the the earlier iterations of the origin story but uh again just kind of a personal thing no i i agree with you because i I do like the double meaning that it has i like that on krypton it meant hope and that on earth it meant superman which when you saw him meant hope or what he represents is hope so i loved that he brought meaning to that uh and and in this it, it kind of it kind of negates everything Superman is because that simple symbol, we're both wearing it on our chest right now. It means something to people. And, um, and just having it just some random, Oh, I just put it there because it reminded, or this reminded me of you kind of really dilutes the meaning behind it. So I like that it meant something there on a planet that died and now is bringing something, some new life of, to the meaning on a planet full of life that this dead planet's last sun is trying to protect. I love that. And, and I wish it did translate into this as well, but oh well. It, yeah. Well, I mean, I recently uh, rewatched Batman V Superman for one of our, our Lex episodes and, and one of my favorite scenes between Clark and Lois on the balcony mm-hmm. of the hotel in DC, where she's like, you know, this, this means something to people. And he's like, it did on my world, but here it's, you know, it's, it's just an S and it's like, but that's the thing. Like I, it, it's important for it to have that meaning. So again, that yes. was a deviation. I, I didn't, I didn't really love, but it's funny. My, my position changed on the Kents in earth one, because initially I'm like, man, like they're really, <laughs> again, it's, it's, it feels very divorced from the Jonathan Kent of Smallville, Oh, yeah. and, and certainly the Kevin Costner version of Man of Steel, who were, were really scared for their son about what would happen, mm-hmm. what would happen to him, what it would do to the world for him to step out. And I mean, as, John, a, as a as a dad, what what who, who wouldn't be right? That's like, look. Be? I always say this, and I know I've said this on the show, but it's like when whenever people complain about Pa Kent in Man of Steel, when Clark's like, "Should I've let them drown?" and he's like, "Maybe." It's like, yeah, you're worried about your son. Like, I, like that's the thing. It's like, no, I I can understand why you you would have that yeah. that hesitation so that always made sense to me here i was kind of like man like they're really more gung-ho about this than i would think but what ultimately sort of uh you know unlocked it for me was it's like they just want him to live his best life essentially yep. like they want mm-hmm. him to be himself they don't want him to be because again this clark in this smallville is just a c student who doesn't do any extracurriculars or have any friends right and they don't want yeah. him to be like that for his whole life so that made no. sense yeah no no um I, I love that they wanted the best for him. Uh, like, like I, I'll bring back to the original book as well, uh, where Martha says, do what you have to do. That's right for you. Not what's right for everybody else. Um, right before that, she told them that she wants him to be Superman basically, but uh, then she goes and, and tells him to do what's best for him. And, and, there's kind of a weight of wisdom there. They they knew that he had to be his whole self, which means he had to save lives because they knew he loved to do, or he liked to do that. And they knew that he had this power and he always felt isolated and he hid it from the world. And if he embraced it and shared it with the world, they knew that he would be the best him he could be. And, and there's a, a wisdom there that parents just intuitively know. And I, I did like how they weren't forceful with it, um, like you mentioned, but but they weren't also secretive about how they felt about it either. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And, and to your earlier point, I, that was one of the clever spins that I liked on this, that whole sequence in the first volume where Clark has all of these amazing opportunities and all of these different industries, right? Like he could be this football star. He has this amazing tryout. Uh, he has his goodwill hunting moment at the laboratory where mm -hmm. he like, solves this equation that has stumped the best scientists. Uh, you know, all of these things. And, and, you know, what he's trying, what he articulates to Martha is like, well, I can use my powers in this way, right? Like I can still sort of have yes. a normal life. Like if I put yep. on that costume, like my life is over essentially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and of course he'll ultimately find the, the path that, that we all know. But the fact that he was entertaining those other options, I, like that made, like that was, I think it was an interesting thing to see, mm -hmm. you know? It, yeah. We don't get to see that a lot because I mean, Superman does have other talents before besides just flying in the sky and writing a good piece of journalism. He, he is brilliant and he is talented in other ways. And, uh, um, but he can't find the meaning for himself personally in those ways, which is this exploring that those options was interesting. He could have made like, like it pointed out, he could have made buttloads of money, but they, Oh, sorry, that's my dog. Okay. Uh, he could have made buttloads of money and uh, it wouldn't have meant anything. It would have made his mom live securely, uh, but she didn't care for that. She wanted him to live happily. And uh, him exploring those options was interesting to see. Um, it brings me back to him. Uh, there's this one panel and it reads, is there anything you want to do anything at all? And he's walking along the street and he sees an issue of the daily planet, picks it up and you kind of get the notion, Oh, he, he wants to write. And it brings me to one of my other favorite Superman stories. I can't think of it uh, right now. I think it's man for tomorrow or something like that. It's a recent issue. Uh, oh, wait, is this the, the Marv Wolfman man and Superman? Yeah. Man and Superman. That's gotcha. the one. And, and in it, Clark's talking about, uh, writing, uh, trying to get in at the Daily Planet. And this Daily Planet is more reputable and it's uh, kind of like the New York Times and he doesn't have the experience uh, that that position requires there. And he's like, the reason he likes to write is because all of that is talent he has to work for. It's not uh, something gifted to him by being from another planet. And I think... I, I wish it explored that here more, but I think that's where this was going. And I enjoyed that aspect as well. Like this is a man who could do anything and he chose to do something that was hard for him because he wanted to work at it. Totally. I, I like that a lot too. And, and he's, you know, he has like a few credits to his name, but not a lengthy mm -hmm. resume and, you know, like his writing needs some work. I mean, Perry gives yeah. him a lesson right, right off the bat about you know, active <laughs> yeah. versus passive uh, sentence yeah. structure. So yeah, there was something kind of endearing about that. Although look, like I said before, I keep butting up against other preferable versions of the origin story to me. Like I, one of the things that I always, always loved about Birthright was that and I even over man, like this was one of the things about Man of Steel that I wish had been a little different. I love in Birthright that he's a journalist first, like he's traveling the mm -hmm. world, he's covering these stories, he's trying to explore his heritage. And then that, you know, he parlays that into, you know, his role mm -hmm. with the Daily Planet. It's not, you know, in a lot of these stories, it just ends up being either a cover or something that's convenient. You know, here I agree with you. I mean, there seemed to be some sort of spark. You don't, you don't get mm -hmm. a ton, but like there, there was that pull in that scene that you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess I would have liked that to play out a little differently. But no, I, I did appreciate the whole sequence of him going through these other possible uh, career paths. I thought like, I thought that was a nice touch. 
Yeah, it it was. I really enjoyed when the 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 football tryouts, especially when he was just taking out all these. Uh, this Clark, I, I'd like to note, is like a lot younger than previous versions too. When he's starting out, he's like twenty years old, I think. Yeah, like he went to junior college. And, and then, then he came to yeah. Metropolis. Like you don't yeah, have yeah. that odyssey around the world or, yeah. um, you know, which again, I, I, I like, so it, it was a little bit of a departure. Now, speaking mm-hmm. of his age, and this was uh, something I was thinking about, like if you were to adapt this specific version of Superman, Earth One specifically, like are there any actors who come to mind? Because it's like definitely not Henry Cavill. Mm. Like this no. version of the character there's is lacking in that in that physicality. Like he's definitely a lot leaner and smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like, is you there definitely see that at the football tryouts? He's just right. this tiny little guy next to these behemoth of men. But uh, no, not that, not that I can think of. One of my uh, favorite things about past Superman movies is when they cast unknowns or, or little known actors. Yeah. So I'd like to see that again, if they ever go back down that route. I mean, I love Henry. Uh, we'll not talk about Superman reboots though because that depresses me but uh, uh, um yeah <laughs> yeah same uh but mm, there is this one fan cast a while back that i don't know where this actor is now his name i think his name is daniel or something he was in the politician and he really did look the part oh you know what i don't remember his name but i remember my wife that's the ryan murphy ben platt show on netflix yeah, yeah. I, I know who you're talking about. He was like one of the classmates or something. Because I remember when we were watching that, I turned to my wife. I was like, that guy. Like, that yeah. guy could play Superman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, I don't know if his name is Daniel or not, but he is also in the Netflix series uh, Hollywood Land or something as well. And he just, he has this like natural curl and bright blue eyes and chiseled features. He's not like the fittest. He's lean, but I think he would have, uh, he would fit that role pretty well. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about the supporting cast and the Kents and, and uh, you know, we're struggling with whether or not to become Superman. Uh, let, let's talk about the, the, the threats, the antagonists that, that he faces in these stories. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. What, what's your what, big picture? What's your take? Did you find that some worked better than others? What, like where, where did you land on, on these? Cause in the first volume, there's the, again, the, uh, the, the alien planet, the sister planet of Krypton that was ultimately mm-hmm. responsible for its destruction, which yep. boy, I have thoughts on that. Uh, and yeah. the second one, we have Parasite as there's more. And the, the second volume was interesting because they did spend a lot of time on the Clark and Lisa relationship and some geopolitical uh, maneuvering. But Parasite was our quote unquote villain of the second volume. And then the third mm-hmm. one was a new take on Zod, Zod L, who's brother of Jor-El. So what, what was your yeah. take on these uh, on, on these antagonists? They were definitely original takes. Um, the first one kind of felt like a Lobo ripoff. Like if if he physically looked like Lobo and it's like if Lobo was some kind of pretentious prick <laughs> kind of style. <laughs> he, uh, I, it was okay for a big bad to kind of threaten the world and bring Superman out because that's all he really did do. He, that's all he served for. Um, Parasite in the second book though was very interesting. Uh, Rudy, but it's Rudy, right? Raymond. Yeah. In this Raymond. Book. No. Okay. See, you can't, that I can't keep the names the same because then I can't keep track, but Parasite, <laughs> um, his, his origin was dark. It was dark. And I enjoyed that original take because it made him more of a threat. This, this serial killer, uh, 
abusive person, um, uh, kind of gangster all in wrapped up in her one got this devastatingly scary power to suck the life out of people and, and Superman in power. And, and, and it, it, it kind of put a big weight on the threat in that book. And, and with it all being original, you didn't really know who was safe and who wasn't. And it was, it was intense. I liked that, that threat to it. Um, that, that, um, that counter, um, especially with the original takes like this, because you don't know where things are going to go. Um, yeah. And what about Zod L? Uh, I don't, I don't always like when Zod is related to the, to the, um, L's. Uh, I like that there's either opposing houses or friends to enemy trope. Uh, I don't, I, I get, some people, if they're alert, uh, they're attracted to the idea of Clark being related to Zod. But um, I, I just I enjoy Zod being separate from the elves because uh, I, I don't really know. It might be because I'm a little Superman traditional, and that's just how it always has been. But uh, I just I didn't like the they were related, and I. That look, that's one of those, again, one of those things, one of those changes that I'm like, I don't know that there's really a a great reason for this. I, and, and look, I recognize that this, like you said, maybe being a traditionalist, maybe being a little nitpicky, but it's like, you know, if you want to make this a a family squabble, you have Zor-El. So like there, you have, you have a template for this. That's, that's what it's, especially Superman and Lois too. Uh, They, everybody forgets about the other branch of the L family and, and it bugs me because there's this, there's already established characters that you could explore in different ways. Why rebrand some someone who's already menacing and threatening? And yeah, and I also, I mean, I think with Zod, I just oh, like you said the the you know friend to enemy trope. Like I always like that parallel between Jor El and Zod and Clark and Lex. I always exactly. like that. And I, you know, so I feel exactly. like you're kind of taking something away and you could have just used another character. And also I don't look, and I know this is a new take, but if we're talking Zod, you know, the fact that he went power mad and he tried to stage a coup, it's like, okay, like that's in line with the Zod we know. But the fact that mm-hmm. in retaliation, he would put a hit out on the entire planet. I mean, his whole yeah. reason for being is to, is to preserve Krypton and, and, and the Kryptonian yeah. way of life. So I was just like, I don't know that this totally, tracks for me even even no. with the understanding that all right we're dealing in you know in a new universe here it just i don't know it did like it did yeah. not feel like zod to me no no that's i agree with you um I, I guess it helped tie in the first book to the rest of the series but yes because c- uh the initial villain in the first book was sent by zod we later learned but uh no i i agree with you because I like to call Zad an, a Kryptonian extremist. Uh, he wants to impose Kryptonian way of life on everybody else, which means he wants, like we saw in Man of Steel, he wants to destroy other planets, terraform them, and make it Krypton. Um, I don't, I don't ever see him murdering his entire homeworld because that is his main motive for every choice he makes, and. Uh, that was disappointing. It also kind of, it made 
him trying to establish a connection with Clark kind of, it, 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 it didn't make sense then because he's like trying to preserve the last Kryptonians again. He like, you wouldn't have had to do that, bud, if you didn't destroy the entire planet. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I feel like, you know, and I've talked about this before in, in discussing man of steel that, you know, I, that was the most that I've ever felt for Zod was in that movie mm-hmm. because it's like when he has that line about like, this is what I was like born to do. And you know, there's yeah. a whole thing like on, on Krypton, they're bred yeah. for certain purposes. And it's like, yeah. you know, I, again, you feel from it's like, this is his sole, you know, his sole, you know, purpose to exist yeah. is to try to preserve Krypton. So yeah, I, I felt like we, we lost more than we, we gained here. Um, no. Yeah. No. It, yeah. And it, I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it it didn't give a lot of motive behind who Zod was. It, it, he was just a killer for killer's sake. Yeah. So just going back to the other ones real quick. I mean, with Parasite, I've never really had a very strong opinion about Parasite one way mm-hmm. or the other. I, I I thought this version, especially for the, the, the purpose he was used for, I think worked well. I mean, I don't think he had, like he didn't have to carry as much of the story as maybe Zod did in the, mm-hmm. in the third one. Uh, I thought he was fine. The invaders in, in volume one, like you said, they serve their purpose of drawing him out. I think man of steel, you know, when it came time for the movie wisely, you know, swapped this, you know, uh, you know, sister planet, you know, uh, yeah. that Krypton had been warring with, with, um, with Zod and, and the other Kryptonians. I, and I've ranted about this before in, in other episodes, I, especially in talking about the Bendis run and his whole bit about Rogel Czar, this villain who is responsible for the destruction of Krypton. I, I just, I don't, I never like the idea that the planet was assassinated. I, I much prefer it to be a natural disaster, this yeah. cautionary tale about abusing your mm-hmm. resources. I, I don't like someone being responsible no. for it. There's there's a natural life cycle to a planet, and I either like when the planet uh, is destroyed by, well, I only actually even like when it's destroyed by the sun. I, I prefer, like you said, a cautionary tale because there's there's that adds a whole new dynamic dynamic to Superman himself because he firsthand he's a survivor of a planet that ended up destroying itself, and our planet isn't we're not exactly taking care of it. So uh, it it's it's it gives a whole new perspective on his heroics, uh, uh, like you said, cautionary tale of what we should do, and and uh, a Krypton that just ends up going uh, doesn't doesn't leave as much of an impact. Yeah. Now, as far as Zod, again, not a fan of him being a blood relative. Uh, you know, the the whole sequence where he's pummeling Clark and Clark thinks he's at the end and he calls Martha, like I said before, mm-hmm. I, you know, I thought that was effective. I mean, what was very interesting about that third volume and, and especially tying in this these themes of like how the world, you know, reacts to him, the, the, the governments of the world make this deal with Zod to not intervene, to let Zod kill Superman. Uh, and hand in hand with this, we also have this alliance with the Luthers. Yeah, Lex and Alexandra Luther, a married couple. So the Luthers mm-hmm. are, are a pair initially in mm-hmm. this story, and they're coming up with this red solar cannon that will, you know, will deplete Superman of his powers. The alliance with the Luthers made total sense and definitely mm-hmm. tracks with what we expect would happen in the real world if a Superman existed. It's like, yeah, the, you know, the 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 governments would want to have some sort of, you know, failsafe like that. That made sense. Uh, the fact that they would 
align themselves with Zod, who's who represents the exact same threat as Superman, but they know nothing about, <laughs> did not ring true for me. I was just like, yeah. as little, not to get political, but it's like as little faith as I have in the people in charge, uh, even that felt like a stretch to me. Yeah. No, it, um, especially with Lex Luthor's of the past, he, he doesn't really trust anybody besides himself, not even the people closest to him. Um, and so this version of the Luthors, uh, especially this version, because they're first introduced as these independent uh, thinking individuals, why would they? I don't know. I feel like there's there would have been another end game with their with them there, but and I, I just didn't like it as well. Like you pointed out, it it didn't make sense. A lot of motives that they had didn't end up becoming true if that makes sense I don't, I don't know how better to describe it yeah no i mean like i think the again the making the luther making luther two uh was uh, yeah. again just one of those things where i felt like all right I, you know we're putting a little different spin on it but I don't know how effective this is. I mean, it does get interesting because Lex has the change of heart, right? He uses the the solar cannon on on Superman. Mm-hmm. And then as he's watching Zod beat Superman to death, has this change of heart and then uses it on, on Zod, but dies in the mm-hmm. process because Zod throws this rod through him. And uh, this basically triggers this transformation within Alexandra, where now she's like, by the end of the story, to so call me Lex. And it's like, she's now the quote unquote Lex Luthor. Yeah. I think the thing that it just felt like such a missed opportunity, if Lex and Superman or Lex and Clark had had any interaction, any history, any, anything <laughs> to, to sort of, you know, talking about their motives, like to sort of account for this change of heart, anything. I mean, you know, it plays fine, right? That Lex is watching this unfold and is so horrified at the violence and, and what they've been complicit in that he has this, this switch, you know, this, this flip, but I don't know. I just feel like if you're going to do this, if you're going to have um, such a such a turn for a Luther character, like put put some more behind it, like put some more yeah. meat on the bone there. It just mm-hmm. felt kind of perfunctory. I didn't. I again, I that was an instance where kind of cool could have gone in a better direction. I don't feel like they like really capitalized on that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like the the limitations of it being such a smaller graphic novel really might have played into that i'm not 100 percent sure but um you can definitely feel in some areas that some stories didn't get that uh full wraparound as they deserved one of the things i really did like uh that was born out of i think this was i think this was the parasite volume i think it was parasite and not zod but i could be mixing them up but when when superman is powerless and is wandering through the streets. And then he talks mm-hmm. to Martha later and he's like, you know, it really like this experience of being yeah. human and having this fear gave mm-hmm. me such a newfound appreciation for humanity. Like I'm in yeah. awe of you, like to go yeah. through life and, and to be in this danger and, and to not have this power. I, mm-hmm. I like that. I thought that was a nice, uh, that was, that was a nice, you know, insight yeah. into what he was feeling. Yeah. That was, that was volume two um, right after his first fight with parasite. And yeah, he was completely depleted of, most of his power and just walking around metropolis in the rain in uh clothes he got out of a donation box without shoes and yeah a- after 
at the end of that book, he is recalling that to Martha and, and it just, I love those moments when Clark, like, it, like those ties that make him grounded, uh, like Martha or Lois usually are, or Jonathan when he's in, uh, still alive, or even Lana, all of those characters remind him of where he's been, who he is, and that he is not just some god who can push an entire planet out of orbit. He's a person, and and yeah, I love when you get to see him exploring those thoughts that he has regarding that. For process. sure, yeah. So yeah. you know, before we give our sort of our, our final thoughts on this, what, what is there anything else that we haven't talked about yet, big or small? Any any moments? Any any. Uh, <laughs> Any characters, anything like that we haven't talked about that you wanted to? Um, I'd like to talk about um, the journalism angle again. Uh, how in the first book, Jimmy being a photojournalist and Lois being on the ground and Clark reporting on himself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I rolled my eyes there for for your listeners. That um, uh, uh, I liked to see that Superman saved the planet in a way like they got the exclusive, they got the only photos, they got the copyright for the photos. They basically trademarked Superman and it, it brought the planet out from the ashes they were in. And you saw that uh, in the later volumes that they were, they were this top notch uh, reputable newspaper that we're all familiar with. Again, um, I really enjoyed that uh, Clark's ethics aside. Um, I've always hated about I've always one thing I've always not hated I guess very much disliked made sense I guess is when Clark reports on himself um but that's a whole other thing but yeah I really enjoyed watching the the planet kind of grow yeah that was cool to see and I I am with you I've never yeah I've never really been a fan of that either uh you know this whole idea of him reporting on himself I mean I guess if it's once to get the job <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he doesn't continue to do it, it's like, all right, I'm a little bit mm -hmm. more, more okay. But again, I, I, yeah, I don't know. And, and then to sort of use that as a source of tension between Lois and Clark that, she, that he scooped her in that respect. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, uh, especially as, you know, as, as we move forward in time, I think that plays worse and worse in a, you know, in yeah. a variety yeah. of ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, through a 2022 lens, it's, it's definitely questionable, uh, to get the job. I, I can understand, uh, I think he did it in, um, the original man of steel books back in the early eighties as well. And then, uh, he scooped Lois and Lois and him had the dynamic again, like they do here. But, um, one thing that I do like about current Superman shows, Superman and Lois, uh, is the exploration they have of Lois's past journalism experience and her own ethics brought into question as well as Clark's. I wish they would question Clark's a little more, but, but I, I enjoy that they're exploring that dynamic more. Uh, and I wish that it was kind of explored as this story went on, but it, it kind of was forgotten. Um, but yeah, uh, I do. Clark should not report on himself. <laughs> I agree. And I also agree with you about Superman and Lois. I think that what they have gotten into in the season two has been interesting. Yeah. I think there's, mm -hmm. there's more that they can do there. I, you know, I've really enjoyed, I've enjoyed talking about earth one probably more than I, than I enjoyed reading it, but yeah. uh, you know, all, all in all, uh, just to sort of 
tie up my own thoughts on this. I think that, like, like I said before, it it was meant for a certain audience, and and mm-hmm. I, I I certainly hope that for anyone who who you know read this as their introduction to the character, I, I hope it it worked and it was effective. I, I could see ways in which it would be. I think, like I said, for me, the biggest roadblocks were just again this more alienated Clark than than necessarily resonated with me, and, and also just sort of having in my head these other, for me, more compelling takes on the origin that I'm comparing it to. But there was still a lot, yeah. a lot of interesting stuff. Again, I think they're worthwhile reads if anyone has never read them. Uh, it's crazy to think that it's been over a decade since the first one <laughs> came out. Uh, it doesn't seem like there will be any subsequent volumes of this, no, no. Um, which, you know, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm not, I'm not heartbroken, but at no. the same time, you know, it, it would have been interesting. Maybe some of the things that we're talking about here maybe would have been explored in a subsequent volume. But, I, you know, you get the sense that this was meant to be the three-volume trilogy that it was. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it certainly reads that way. So for anyone who's never checked it out, I know we've basically spoiled all of it. But, uh, you know, if you've never read it, I, I think it's it's worth the read. It's not, you know, I've covered the origin tellings mm-hmm. pre and post-crisis. This would not rank very highly for me, but... I respect the the place that it does occupy and yeah. it was definitely fun to talk about. So I, I thank you for coming along with, for me on this, on no, this no. flight and I, uh, any other, any other thoughts you want to share before we sign off? Um, no, that's, that's all. I mean, again, reading it in the 2022 lens uh, after losing my grandma and my mom, myself, those Martha moments are pretty impactful but i definitely get where you're coming from uh i do have a question though for you where what is your favorite origin story so far that you've re- revisited as an adult i mean it remains birthright birthright birthright's okay. my favorite although i, I yeah. mean i love man of steel but birthright remains uh number one and again i do i do recognize that earth one came before man of steel i i get that mm-hmm. so you know <laughs> uh so it, it's maybe unfair to be like well i like man of steel so much better it bar- clearly borrowed a lot from from earth one so no, no. if nothing else it's like i do appreciate the you know the sort of the inspiration or foundation that it laid for a version of the story that i like a lot more yeah no. you know but birthright I, I, birthright it remains uh number one for me birthright is a, a really it, it's a classic it's i mean not i guess it is a classic now but it is a great uh a great take on superman i actually have that copy myself over there and i i enjoy the art and the story in it and the daily planet angle in that as well there's there's a good daily planet scale in that absolutely uh, yeah. Well, Zach, thank you very much uh, for joining me for this. And this was, you know, you and I have been uh, tweeting at each other and exchanging Twitter DMs for a long time now. But this is yeah. the first time we actually <laughs> were face to face virtually and spoke. So uh, it, was, it was great to have this conversation. Uh, I thank you for all your support. I hope everyone will check out uh, DailyPlanetDC.com and DailyPlanetDC on Twitter. Yep. Twitter, uh, and Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, uh, basically um anywhere uh where where you have a higher presence i've reserved that at on most social medias but i only tweet and face uh post on facebook and instagram uh but yeah at daily planet dc um uh, i'd like to say we let everybody contribute if you have an op-ed or something you want to write or even a podcast we'd be happy to share it 
There you go. Well, hopefully people will take you up on that. Uh, So thank you, Zach. Thank you, audience, as always. I always appreciate you tuning in. It means a lot. Uh, We will be back next week with an all-new episode. Until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. The spinoff podcast, Digging for Justice, a DC fan journey, is available now exclusively at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato starting at the $1 level. New episodes release monthly. And many more rewards are available too, including a robust back catalog of bonus podcasts. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.